Did you know the Texarkana Gazette has a newsletter for every interest? Sign up at texarkanagazette.com slash newsletters to get the news you care about most delivered straight to your email box. You can find out what's happening this weekend, read the week's best feature stories, or catch up on sports scores. Try The Upside, our roundup of good news sure to put a positive spin on your week. There's even an on-the-line newsletter, so you can be sure to never miss the latest episode. And more. Visit texarkanagazette.com slash newsletters to customize how you get news today. That's texarkanagazette.com slash newsletters. Hello and welcome to On the Line. I'm Carl Richter. Dr. Chris Jones is this year's Democratic nominee for Arkansas governor. During a recent campaign stop in Texarkana, he came by the studio to talk about his story, his platform, and his strategy to win votes in a deep red state. We spoke about his views on Southwest Arkansas broadband internet access, education, marijuana legalization, church-state separation, the January 6th insurrection, and more. I have invited Jones' Republican opponent, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, to be interviewed on the show as well. Here's my conversation with Chris Jones. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Uh, good morning, Carl. Great to be here with you. So um, I think probably uh, your opponent is a lot more familiar to people than you are. So oh, why, yeah. don't, why don't you just take a minute to introduce yourself and tell us why you're running? Sure. Look, I'm a um, first of all, thank you for having me here. And you know, I have to say I am a, a deep lover of Arkansas. Uh, mm-hmm. My family has been in the state for over 200 years. And in fact, they were back in Washita County. So I'm a seventh generation Arkansan. And uh, I grew up riding dirt bikes, eating honeysuckle, fighting grasshoppers, you know, <laughs> the, the typical Arkansan thing. Yeah. And it, it was great because it allowed me to explore. Uh, and in the exploration is where I discovered my love for science. Mm. And, I, and I actually pursued that um, in undergrad. Mm-hmm. And so I graduated from Watson Chapel High School, played football there, and went on to college at, at Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, where I studied physics and math. Mm-hmm. And again, I always was fascinated by space and was fascinated by science. I worked at NASA for a while and I helped to build a rocket with an astronaut. Oh, wow. Yeah, I wanted to be an astronaut, but I couldn't because I can't hear out of my right ear. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So it was one of those hidden disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, But still, nonetheless, because of the foundation I got in Arkansas, I I did research at the university and was, again, was able to explore. I then went on after working at NASA a little bit uh, to go to grad school at MIT, Mm. where I studied nuclear engineering, uh, technology and policy. And and really what I think is really cool is my Ph.D., because I was able to combine not only my science, but the policy understanding and the understanding of social dynamics. And my Ph.D. is in urban planning. Oh, interesting. Right. So I looked, I, my, I specifically looked at large scale energy systems, hmm. the Tennessee Valley Authority, which fascinating story was supposed to be the Arkansas Valley Authority. 
Mm, I never knew that. Yeah, it was a uh, a senator back in the day that said, for some various reasons, said mm-hmm. they didn't want it in Arkansas. Yeah, it sounds like we could use your expertise here in Texas. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Um, so, look, I, um, I I always loved Arkansas and wanted to come back home. And the reason being because I met uh, at the age of eight. I bumped into in the mall none other than, than Governor Bill Clinton. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was fascinated. Mm-hmm. I was fascinated because he paid attention. I was fascinated because he listened. Mm-hmm. And I asked my dad, what does he do? My dad said he's a governor. And I said, what's a governor do? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm eight. I don't know. Yeah. And he said, go look it up which is a typical uh, parent of a Gen Xer uh, response. Right. Yeah. So I went home because I didn't have Google and went to the Encyclopedia Britannica. Pulled out G and found out that a governor can do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And one of the, what fascinated me was that they could solve problems and make a difference in people's lives. So even as I was on my academic journey, I always knew I wanted to come home. Uh, now, I taught high school for a year. I was dean for 10 years. I've run multiple Multi-million dollar organizations, uh, and I always loved Arkansas, and I'm here now to bring that back at home. What do you think about when you think about Texarkana and Southwest Arkansas in particular? Yeah. You know, what comes to mind is untapped potential. You know, what comes to mind uh, is, you know, in some ways a, a, a sleeping giant that is ready to be awakened. You know, I think about the fact that there's a um, a, a lithium reserve that, that is unparalleled in the world that's not far from here. And, you know, and like how do we tap into that resource? Right. Uh, and really provide economic development for the region. You know, when I think about Southwest Arkansas and Texarkana, I really think about a place that uh, has not been at the decision-making table, a place that has been left out of the conversation uh, in many respects, you know, our agenda is spreading PB&J across the state. You know, it sounds crazy talking about the sandwich. Mm-hmm. But when you think about a bad sandwich, the the peanut butter is clumped mm. and the jelly is clumped. And when you take a bite, sometimes all you get is dry bread. <laughs> right. right. And I think about Texarkana. I think about Magnolia. I think about Stevens. I think about my dad's hometown of Hughes in East Arkansas. For far too long, citizens have been taking bites and getting dry bread. Well, PB&J for us is preschool, broadband, and jobs. It's high-quality education starting with pre-K, solid, reliable infrastructure starting with broadband, and economic development starting with jobs at the local level everywhere. And so for me, you know, I think about a place that has so much potential, um, has so much that can, it can offer Arkansas, uh, if, if only given a space at the table and decision-making table. Speaking of broadband, that's something yeah. on a lot of people's minds statewide. Yes. What are your specific proposals there? Yeah. So as you probably know, Carl, there are about somewhere between 20 and 25 percent of the state does not have access to broadband or can't afford it. So you might have access to it, but you can't afford it. Or there's a third category of you have access to it, you can afford it, but it's really, really slow. Yeah. Right. So there are three buckets. And that constitutes a good third of the state um, that that just are really left out of the economic conversation globally, left out of the educational conversation and it it also hits uh, on health, you know, telehealth and, and the like. So when you look at it, uh, it's important for us to go the last mile yeah. so that every place across the state has access to high-speed Internet. The next governor is going to decide how that happens, how fast that happens, and what kind of investment we'll make. Um, because for far too long, folks have been saying, yeah, we'll get broadband, quote-unquote, everywhere. Right. But it leaves out a lot of places. And as governor, I don't want to leave out any place. So what are you talking about? Uh, subsidies? 
were um, it's a combination, right? So you know the the market is there for certain segments, right? So as long, there's a market incentive up to a certain point. And when there's a market incentive, you need to, the, I think the government should move out of the way and let the market do its thing. However, when you talk about that last mile, when you talk about um, it places and areas where you don't get a high return on investment, when you talk about places that are difficult to get to, mm-hmm. so it requires an, a larger capital investment, uh, that's where the state government can step in. And fortunately, they're about, you know, it's going to take us, the last report said it's going to take us about $550 million to finish the job on broadband. There are about 300 or so, some odd million dollars that are coming from the federal government. Mm-hmm. So the real question is, are we going to, are we willing to make that investment of a hundred and something odd million dollars in order to really finish the job for everyone? And it's that weird space where, again, the private sector won't go because of the return on investment, mm-hmm. but with the rights, incentives, and subsidies, the private sector will go there. That's what we have to do. Let's talk a little bit about education. Oh, like yeah. You're a um, big advocate of preschool. Yes. And I saw your... Uh, Teacher raise proposal. Yes. Talk a little bit about the importance of those things. Yeah. So, you know, education is the foundation um, for which we thrive. And not only that, it's a constitutional requirement that Arkansas provides a quality public education for all of its citizens. So when you combine those two, the importance of education is is central. And for me, it's a it's really a moral uh, issue. You know, we have a response, a moral responsibility to provide a quality education to all of our citizens of all ages. So I think about pre-K. I think about education from the entire pipeline. And pre-K for me reminds me of when I ran track. So I ran track in high school. I did the 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 um, the mile relay and the 400 and the 800. I was okay. You know, I thought maybe I had a long career, but you know what? I ended up sticking with science. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it turns out the if you ran track, you know the most important part of the track race is coming out of the blocks. If you come out of the block strong, you set yourself up to win. If you don't come out of the block strong, you can't win. So pre-K is like that. It's setting our kids up to win and to be successful. Mm -hmm. And we know the research shows that if you go to pre-K, you're more likely to read by third grade. And we know the research says if you're reading by third grade, you're less likely to go to prison. You're more likely to have a living wage job. So that's what we want. We want to set them up for success. But it's also really looking at things like trade schools. So when I ran the Arkansas Regional Innovation Hub, which provided education and entrepreneurship across the state, we had a program called Skills to Launch, where in 10 weeks, we trained folks on roofing, welding, HVAC, and carpentry. Right. The trades that matter, that won't go away, that really build communities. So th- that's an investment that's required, I believe, in terms of education. Uh, and then it's a partnership with the private sector. You know, there are, there are great examples of um, K-12 and private sector and higher ed partnerships where even in the K-12 space, you're learning skills um, that are the hard skills and the soft skills to prepare you for the workforce and to prepare you to be really productive citizens. Those are the kinds of things that I believe are important in addition to paying teachers more and in addition to just making sure. And this one gets me there are two categories. One is you can't learn if you're hungry, you know. As an adult, I can't even think straight if I'm hungry. Right. So we should be providing food to kids because in Arkansas, one in four kids go to bed hungry. So if we want to improve our educational system, we need to address that. And the other piece is is when you talk about mental health supports and services. We really need to provide better mental health services and supports uh, to our kids and to our, all of our citizens, but especially our, our kids. So back to workforce development. Yeah, um, yeah. Are it's you, big. 
What are you planning on doing exactly? Are you talking about um, instituting new programs in the state university system? Uh, how would you accomplish that? Yeah, it's really a combination. So when we when um when I ran the innovation hub, the Arkansas Regional Innovation Hub, we partnered with the Office of Skills Development. Uh, we partnered with the private sector, and so what we did was we found uh, on the order of maybe twenty to twenty five private sector businesses mm-hmm. that said, "Hey, look, if you can either take some of my current workforce and upskill them, or help me find new folks to bring into the workforce, then I will pay you for that training." So we were a nonprofit that was working to bridge that gap. That's an example of what. Now, we partnered with uh, Pulaski Tech because Pulaski Tech provided some of the training. Our trade schools, uh, community colleges really do a a great job at providing some of that training, uh, some of that workforce development. And and they're across the state. And so I think it's a partnership between the private sector and our our two year colleges, our four year colleges in order to really provide that training. In addition, I think the nonprofit sector uh, can really lean in. Shifting gears, I'm, yeah, I, I want to know where you are on cannabis. Are you yeah. for um, legalizing recreational use, for example? I am. Uh, now, look, I've, uh, I, I got this question before. I've never used it or tried it myself, uh, and yet I think we should treat it like alcohol. You know, certainly... Um, and the decision to do that is a personal, private decision. Uh, and yet when I think about the possibility, you know, a, a, a few things. One, I think about the revenue that comes in, you know, from a very practical standpoint. You know, it's revenue that could be redirected to education. Mm-hmm. It's revenue that can be redirected to drug addiction services uh, that are that are desperately needed. I mean, you know, we just got the report out that said Arkansas uh, leads the nation in meth use. Mm. Right. So. How do we put resources in uh, to make sure that we're providing the kinds of services that people need? You know, it, there's an opportunity there to really address some of the social justice issues with folks that are locked up uh, and, in, and imprisoned and incarcerated for minor crimes. Uh, there, there's an opportunity there to do it. So I, I do support uh, legalization and decriminalization, uh, and I do believe that we can use that revenue and those resources in a very, very positive way. Uh, and then and provide, you know, some economic opportunities. Now, there are downsides, uh, as with alcohol. Uh, there are certainly downsides. And as a society, we have to think about that. Uh, but the reality is, when you look across the country, and when you look at what uh, citizens of the state are asking for, um, they're, they're asking for it. So I think our role as leaders are to, is to, to help make that happen. You're really upfront about your faith in, yeah. in a way that many Democrats aren't. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think that's a difference maker to you? And I want to gauge you where you are on church state separation. Yeah. You know, in a, at a time when lots of Republicans are announcing that they're Christian nationalists. Right. Right. Which, I mean, look, as a, as a Christian myself to hear someone announce that they're Christian nationalists, it just, it just burns me up and explodes my head because mm-hmm. it is very antithetical to my faith. Um, now, here's, here's the deal. I'm, You're an ordained minister. I am an ordained say. minister, yes. I was raised in the uh, Missionary Baptist Church. Um, I got married in an in a AME church, um, um, ordained non-denominational. And for me, it's always about how do I live out uh, my faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I believe that you can stand on and live out your faith in whatever sector you're in. Mm-hmm. And I believe you can do that 
without turning the state into a church. Right. Right. What, the reason I'm up front is because I want to be authentic. Yeah. You know, I, w- I want folks to know if you're going to vote for Chris Jones for governor, then this is who you get. I want to hide it. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're an atheist, you don't have a seat at the table. If you're a Buddhist, you don't have a seat at the table. We all are citizens of this state, and I want to serve everyone, and I love everyone regardless of what your faith is. And I want you to know where my faith is and the things that I stand on so that when when you treat me wrong and I still love you, you know that I'm falling back on the second commandment, which is to love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, when I think about doing things for the poor and for children, like that's the faith that I'm living out. But that is very different from turning the church into a state. I mean, from turning the state into a church. Um, we, we don't want either one to happen, right? Right. Uh, there, there should be that because we need a strong church and we need a strong state. Uh, and they're, they're, the two are not the same. I've heard you um, talk about the threat of Trump 2.0. Yeah. And uh, I think it's very important to ask everyone I'm interviewing, how do you characterize what happened on January 6th, mm. 2021? And what do you think that says about our current politics and our democracy? Yeah. You know, January 6th, um, it, it, was a, it was a shock to the system. I mean, it was one of those things where you talk about what's possible and then to actually see it. Uh, it, it, it was very surreal. I remember watching it unfold and it was surreal. I'm thinking there's no way this is happening in our country. Yeah. When, when my wife served in Afghanistan uh, and fought for democracy there, and when, when, when we have soldiers there and here fighting all the time and to see the way law enforcement were treated, you know, I, I, I think it was, it was a, it was shock to the system and a line in the sand. As to as to where do you stand? Do you stand as a defender of democracy or do you stand as someone who is an insurrectionist and taking democracy down? And I do believe that there is a segment of the population that are that are that are certainly hell bent on undermining democracy for 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 some notion of winning. And and in reality, it's it's really to lift up an autocrat. Uh, And that's what I mean when I talk about, you know, the, the next version and how we have to rethink our engagement. You know, we need everyone engaged and everyone leaning in because we're at a moment where we could say, hey, let's let's turn our nation over to one or two individuals who believe that they should make all the decisions and they should define what reality is. And they're will- literally willing to create any reality and do anything to make that happen. Uh, and as a seventh generation Arkansan, you know, I, I stand firmly against it. Let's talk a little bit more about your family history. Yeah. It's you obviously have very deep roots in Arkansas. Yeah, yeah I, I do, and you know, it's always it was it was always fascinating to me to hear my parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents talk about family history. We have a very interesting family history in that um, both of my mom's parents were. Um, I'm talking my dad's side real quick first. My dad got here because his grandfather owned land in Mississippi. And one night, um, one of his friends came over and said, hey, look, you need to leave now because the Klan just found out that you have oil under your land. And so they crossed over the river and they ended up in Hughes, Arkansas. And that, that's how his side of the family got here. And that was, you know, a few couple of generations ago. My mom's side, I don't know how they got here because it went back so far. Right. And, uh, you know, to go back before Arkansas was even a, a, a state or a territory. I did find, because I love kind of digging and exploring, 
I did find the ancestral record where, and I carry it around sometimes, that um, the census record has an age and a dash. And that's one of my ancestors. Yeah. And they were, they were property. So, but but when I think about that, that's where we started, and now to, you know to stand here as the first African American, you know, nominee for a major party in the state of Arkansas, I think that that's progress. I think that that's, you know, that that's how we are moving forward. And to think just two nights ago, you know, we did a a walk in Mina. Now, Mina is known as a sundown town, where right. folks that look like me couldn't walk in in the town at night once the sun was down. We did our walk at sundown and there were a lot of folks there with us saying like we're ready to move forward and ready for a different narrative. Tell me more about your campaigning. You're, yeah. you're doing this walking tour across yeah. the state. So we, we've, um, it, th- th- this campaign has always been built on listening to our Kansans everywhere. It's always been built on the notion that the people most impacted by decisions must be at the table when decisions are made. And in order to do that, we have to meet folks where they are. So we did a, a 75 county tour called the Promise of Arkansas tour once. So I've been to all 75 counties once. And this is our second 75 county tour where we're literally walking a mile uh, in our neighbor's shoes. And it's about how do we meet folks where they are, walk in their shoes, have conversations, listen to them, hear their struggles and their stories, but also hear about the amazing opportunities that exist across the state. And, you know, one of the consistent themes, whether it's in the Ozarks, or a Southeast Arkansas, or a Southwest Arkansas, or Central Arkansas, a consistent theme is, thank you for listening. Thank you for showing up. Folks have not been heard. They've been ignored. They haven't been listened to. And, and my response is, this is not about giving you voice. This is about making space for the voice you already have. And that's what this campaign has always been about. And I do believe that that is one that will help us and position us to win this race. But more importantly, it positions us to unleash the promise of Arkansas. And that's the most important thing. And right after this, you'll be appearing at the uh, Miller County Courthouse. Yeah. So this will be published after that. But uh, it's just one of a few stops you're making today, correct? Yeah, today we have three stops. Um, so we have, uh, we'll be at the Miller County Courthouse today. We're going to be uh, in Hope in Hempstead County a little bit later today. And in between, we are... My brain just, uh, where, where are we in between? Garland yes, Garland City. Okay. Garland City. We're in Garland City in between. Uh, we, we did cross it last night, so sometimes I, I have to look at the paper. So plenty of opportunity for people to uh, get to know you. Yes, yes. And that's what I want. You know, folks need to know who I am. You know, certainly we are up against uh, someone with 100% name recognition. We're up against someone with, you know, lots of money, a lot of it outside the state. Um, and yet I firm, I'm a firm believer that when you work hard and when you show up and when you talk to our Kansans, they will show up and they'll give you a chance. And, that, and that's what this campaign is about. What have I left out? What else would you like to say? Well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things. One, again, I'm excited about being here, um, not only to have the conversation, not only to meet folks and, and engage with them, um, but because, you know, Southwest Arkansas is such an important part of the state. Um, it's such an important part of the the history of our state uh, and with the right economic supports. Um, and the, when I think about economic development across the state, there's no one size fits all. It has to be regionalized. And with the right economic supports, you know, I know this part of the state will be a powerhouse that'll help lift us all. And the, and the last thing I'll tell is a story. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I'm a seventh generation Arkansan. Um, and, but 
what I love the most about my family is my wife. <laughs> we have three daughters and I love them also. My wife's a combat veteran of the Air Force. She's an emergency room doctor. She's a first responder as well. Um, and state medical director for disaster preparedness, but she's also just brilliant. And she reminded me of the story of the bumblebee that I've told before. And I wear the bumblebee often. And the story of the bumblebee real quickly is that the bumblebee has a really big body and really small wings. And scientists looked at it decades ago and they said, there's no way this bumblebee can fly. They ran the calculations and said it was aerodynamically impossible, but somebody forgot to tell the bumblebee (laughs) and the bumblebee flies anyway. And that's our campaign. You know, folks are, the experts are saying, you can't do it, you won't do it. You're a black man running in the South. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're a man of faith and a scientist, and that's just weird, and people don't understand the combination. Um, but we fly anyway, and we won the primary in a five-way race with 70% of the vote. Uh, the other thing that, that turns out decades later, scientists realize something that the bumblebee knew all along. Uh, and, and, and one day they'll realize something that we know all along, and that's with hard work. When, this, when the bumblebee flaps its tiny wings, there's something called a vortex that's created underneath the wings. And it's that vortex that gives the bumblebee lift. When we show up in every county and we talk to folks and engage people, no matter who you are, um, when we invite folks in, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, independent, libertarian, or no party, um, that's what's giving us lift. Uh, and we really want this to be about all our Kansans. And our love for all our Kansans is what's giving us lift and what's get across the finish line in November. So it sounds like you're going to have an opportunity to um, debate your opponents directly in yeah. October. Are you looking forward to that? I'm so excited about that, you know, because in, in October, right now it's set for October 21st. And it's really an opportunity to talk about what our campaign is about, what our vision for the future of Arkansas is and who it includes. And it'll show a contrast. You know, I think there is a contrast between Uh, our visions of what Arkansas is and who it includes. And I know for certain ours is about unleashing Arkansas's potential about putting us in first place and about doing it for all our Kansans, not some segment of the the population that may be connected to us. You know, I'll say this folks can go and find out more even before then uh, about us by going to Chris for governor.com. That's Chris F O R governor.com or follow us on social media at Jones for AR. We're on all the various platforms. But I, I'm really pumped about that that debate because it's going to show the contrast and give us an opportunity to to say um, how amazing the state is and what we can offer to the state. And I think when folks see that contrast and, and they see the difference, uh, they'll they'll lean in and they'll help us. I'm hoping that we'll do something even before October 21st, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll be watching. Thanks Good. so much for taking a little time to talk to us today. And uh Travel safely on the campaign trail. Appreciate it. Thank you, Carl. On the line is a Texarkana Gazette podcast recorded in Star Bear Studio, right here in downtown Texarkana, USA. Follow On the Line on Twitter at OTLTXK and on our website, texarkanagazette.com slash podcast. To support the show, post a positive review wherever you get your podcasts. The show is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Carl Richter. And I'd love to hear from you. Email me at krichter at texarcanagazette.com. I'll see you next time on the line.